Hello and welcome to series two of Working It Out, a podcast series from Advanced. I'm Louise Minchin and throughout the series I'm going to be joined by a number of thought leaders who'll talk to me about the specific challenges facing business in this climate of uncertainty and provide insight into how business leaders can adapt and navigate their way to growth. In this episode, we are looking at the blurred lines between work and home life brought about by the increased move to hybrid working. I'm sure we all know so much about it. More specifically, we'll be looking at how business leaders can navigate this when the boundaries are constantly shifting. Today, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Almut McDowell, a professor of organisational psychology at Birkbeck University of London. Her research focuses on issues such as work-life balance, occupational health, diversity and inclusion, and professional competence and development. As well as leading her department, Almut is also a chartered psychologist, a registered psychologist practitioner, an academic fellow of the CIPD, and a fellow of the International Society for Coaching Psychology. She's published innumerable research projects funded by varied organisations, including the Ministry of Defence, the College of Policing, the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, and the Home Office. She has a lot of accolades a lot of writing, a lot of experiences in this. Hello, Amit. Really, really warm welcome. How are you today? I'm good. And thank you for having me, Louise. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. So, so much to talk to you about. And you are so well placed to give us some real insight into what businesses can do. I mean, hybrid working two years ago, we would not be having this conversation the way we were, we are having it. We might have just about two years ago, but the coronavirus, the epidemic, the pandemic has changed things so much. There you are, you're at home, I'm at home, we're making a podcast, is extraordinary. Where are we now with hybrid working? Finding our feed, Louise. So we've lived through a giant experiment where we had to move to home working, homeschooling, all sorts of hybrid arrangements, whether we wanted to or not. And of course, let's be clear, much more so than in some sectors than others, because, you know, your operators at the supermarket still, still had to be there. Hospitality had to, had to function. Retail had to, still had to function with people actually being physically present. But you're absolutely right. We have now moved to much more fluid ways of working where it's become the norm that some of our working day is spent at home, perhaps also spent in a shared workspace that we share with other people. And we're starting to reconfigure what the office actually is and what we want to use the office for. There's so much to explore with this, but let's give some figures as well, because we are actually seeing, and I was very surprised by this, that hybrid working is on the increase right now. The Office of National Statistics reported recently that the proportion of workers hybrid working has risen from 13% in early February 2022 to 24% in May 2022. Are you, is that, does that surprise you as well? Um, it does and it doesn't. Um, it is clear that some organizations are now taking the issue much more seriously because let's face it, we won the productivity argument, right? You know, I remember three years ago when working with organizations and I used to talk to them, about, why don't you think about more flexible ways of working? Oh, no, we can't do that. 
because it doesn't work, but you've never tried it. So how do you know that it doesn't work? So, but th there was almost this fear that, you know, if workers are not going to be in the office, they're going to be shirking. They're not going to do their job. And let's face it, Louise, we all did a pretty damn fine job during the pandemic, just getting on with things. But I think what those figures are hiding is that we're seeing a huge big spread where some organizations have moved to almost entirely remote and home working because it's good for the environment. It's also good for the business because, of course, it cuts your office overhead. You no longer need to rent expensive office space. On the other hand of the spectrum, I've also witnessed organizations who are mandating every single worker to come back into the office because they want their workers to be seen as well as heard. Yeah, so there's a huge um, gamut of different ways that people are doing it. And this podcast really is about those kind of blurred lines, because what strikes me, and we'll come to um, some of the things you've mentioned in a minute, is, you know, here we are, we are at home, we're working. I mean, it has just completely changed, hasn't it? You know, many of us used to get in wherever, do a commute. It was kind of much more set, wasn't it? And these blurred lines are very confusing for workers, for employers as well. Absolutely. So where does work actually stop? Where does it end? Uh, we've been doing a lot of research over the years on what we call constant voluntary availability. So it's a gift that UK workers, much more than any other European nation, tend to give to their employers year on year, in that we tend to work many, many hours of unpaid overtime and make ourselves available outside hours. So, you know, responding to emails, Slack, Yammer, whatever it is, in responding to messages on Teams. Actually, why is that? And is it a good thing? Why is it? Well, it's become an implicit expectation in many organizations. That's kind of just the way that we do things, particularly for more senior staff. But of course, more senior staff are role models, right? They set the tone. Is it good for us? No, absolutely not, because our human brains are not hardwired to have our arousal levels peaking all the time. We need recovery, we need downtime, and we need to do something that recharges our batteries. And that's the danger when work is omnipresent in our own homes. How do you ever switch off? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's no simple answer. Can you give me clues to the answer? <laughs> Really, really important to have rituals and have what we call, I would say, boundary management or bridging rituals where you make a real mental as well as physical effort to end the working day. And that might mean that you literally and figuratively, you pack up your laptop, your work phone, you shut it away, you put it in a drawer, you make yourself a nice cup of herbal tea, don't get the bubbly out quite just yet. And as you sit down, you have some reflection time because although commutes, particularly when they're long, are stressful, um, actually, a lot of people really enjoy their commutes because it's that time to actually decompress, to get away from the working day, to start thinking about your partner, your family, whatever it is that you want to do when you come back home. And we've lost that decompression time. So we need to find it again. So here's a tip for all of you really think actively about that decompression time. I like the idea of shutting it in a drawer, actually. That's kind of, you know, a real kind of physical manifestation. Um, so can we agree that um, hybrid working is going to be the new normal? That I mean, is that the future, do you think? 
the future is uncertain. I think that's the only thing that I can predict that we will be. The uncertainty is certain. That uncertainty is certain. And, you know, many years ago, when I trained in organizational psychology, you had all these, you know, models of organizational change where, you know, you unfreeze something and you freeze it. And then eventually there's an end to change. Well, organizational change isn't like that anymore. There is no end point to change anymore. We don't know what the global pandemic will bring. We don't know what the instability of the political environment that we now live in will bring us either. So um, what I can predict with certainty is that we will live in a very uncertain world, but also in a very uncertain world of work. And I think there are two things that we really need to consider. Is there something to be gained from hybrid working and more flexible working? Absolutely, yes. But is there also a need to reestablish human connection again? I would say absolutely yes. Let's go back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier, because you, I think you said we, we sort of managed it in a panic, or I can't quite remember your words, but we, we, we were suddenly, we just forward winded sort of decades, didn't we? In a, in a rush, but quite effectively. But do you think this is a point where now we need to sort of take a breath? look at it with kind of like clearer eyes. Absolutely, because you know, we, we did the transition to hybrid working under emergency conditions. We had to, you know, we had no choice. There was a mandate to work from home. So we had to make it work for better, for worse. And actually, you know, we, you know, businesses stayed afloat, you know, we, we remained effective. We did it. But actually remaining effective and kind of getting the core job done over a certain period of time is really different to, let's say, thinking about strategic innovation, thinking about building new teams, thinking about innovation, creativity, thinking up new business ideas. Those sorts of things are really hard to do when you're stuck in Zoom call after Zoom call, say the two of us now <laughs> recording this on Zoom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what would you be recommending um, to organisations who are, again, sort of refinding their feet or managing this constant change? Really thinking about work much more as a shared social space, as well as um, what has been a virtual environment when we needed to get things done. So how will you bring your teams back together? How can you actually re-establish that sense of human connection. You know, Louise, there was so much talk during the pandemic also of the great resignation, people falling out of love with work and wanting to do something different and saying, actually, I don't want to be stuck in that red race anymore. That's a lot of knowledge and a lot of talent that organizations have lost. And perhaps with a more proactive approach about actually using this pandemic as an opportunity to not just think about hybrid working, but also making workplaces kinder and more humane. Perhaps that's an opportunity that also comes out of the pandemic. I suppose, you know, I am one of those. I I resigned from my job, which I'd had for many years post pandemic. And so many things play into that decision. But you, it did give us all a chance, I think, to think about things in a different way, didn't it? And But you, you're right, businesses can take advantage of that, can't they, in a good way? Absolutely. And absolutely. And really think about, you know, what, what the meaning is and the purpose is of the work that we are doing and witnessing the organisations I've worked with during the course of the pandemic, the ones who 
um, did the people bit better than others. What they really did in all their communications was they put people first and they cared about well-being and they were very, um, very aware that all of us had a juggling act, you know, with homeschooling, you know, I'm probably the worst home teacher you've ever met, Louise. <laughs> Definitely not my second career, but you know, we all had to do it, right? <laughs> Do you know what? I mean, I take my hat off to you. Luckily, um, you know, mine, 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 thankfully homeschooled herself, but she was at probably a different age to your children. Um, let's look at, um, the sort of, um, the expansion, which I really think, and you've alluded to it already of, of, of that extra work that everybody's doing. And Advance has done some research into concerns amongst business leaders, founding that 85% of those responding admitted employees are working extra hours. 38% uh, say that's because they have too much work to fit into their allocated hours. I mean, the, the, I, I just feel, you know, just even reading out those figures, that level of pressure is huge, isn't it? Totally. And that's what we call in uh, organizational psychology work intensification. Right. <laughs> so that what gets piled into your day job, you know, the sheer array of tasks gets more and more and more. And actually that was propelled in a lot of ways by that transition to hybrid working because we had to learn new skills. You know, we had to navigate new platforms. We, you know, we have to synchronize all of our devices. And Louise, show me one job description where all those extra tasks for a start are actually made explicit. More often than not, they are not, but they, they cost time, they cost energy, they cost resource. And really, we need to think about making those tasks explicit and actually formalizing them that actually if we work in a hybrid setup, that's part of your job, right? To navigate all of these things. And that is something where we probably can support people much more, but also be much more upfront and much more explicit about actually this is part of your job and this is what you need to be doing. That of course means that there's less time for other things. I mean, you're just right, you know, even getting onto a Zoom call or, you know, whatever, it just like, it just takes a lot of time, doesn't it? You're absolutely right. And that is not scheduled into your, your job description. Um, so, um, is, I suppose another question is, is, is all of this sustainable? It looks to me that, that we're sort of on this upward curve. It's, you know, almost vertical, actually, isn't it? And, and, and presumably it's not sustainable, is it? No, it is not. And also, can I name another elephant in the room? So I've Please just spoken. Do. I love elephants. <laughs> Good. Okay. Let's get another elephant out. So we've spoken about, um, you know, the need to make businesses kinder. But on the other hand, what has happened during the pandemic as employees, particularly those of us who juggle caring duties, we have become much more unapologetic, right? About actually, you know, tomorrow afternoon, I can't make that team meeting, you know, got to attend a meeting at school because, you know, I don't know, you know, teenager son has misbehaved or whatever it might be. So it we've become more open about these things, which in some ways is good, right? Because we all have a life uh, outside work, but there is also a job to be done. And the question is, right, where is this actually a kind thing to say, okay, fine, right? you can have tomorrow afternoon off because you've got other things to do and I trust you to make up the time. But what if there's then a real impact on the team? It's absolutely crucial for you, Louise, to be there in that client meeting tomorrow rather than be with Sun. It's going to actually, you know, how how do we navigate these things and how do we actually 
have a setup where on the one hand, yes, there is more give and more flex in the system, but also I think there is some recalibration to be done on the other hand that actually there is also a job to be done, right? And if you want to keep your job tomorrow, actually, we all really have to work with each other so that we can remain effective. Okay. Um, so there's so much to sort of dig into um, with that because – you know, the, the individual, I mean, you know, you're right. We've, we've become more demanding in our individual choices. So how, how does an organization, you know, navigate that tricky path? So. I think the most important thing, I think, is to have open conversations and to be really explicit about these issues. So rather than, you know, getting disgruntled about Louise not being there tomorrow because, you know, she has to go to school with her son, you know, made up example. I don't have a son, so it's okay, but carry on. <laughs> so instead of, you know, noting it and then feeling oh, slightly disgruntled about it, yeah. it's much, much better to have an open conversation and say, actually, I observed that tomorrow you can't be here. Now, this is the third time in three weeks that you have missed a really crucial team meeting. So A, it wasn't very good for our clients, but also I'm concerned now that you haven't been involved in key decisions that we've made with a client. So what are we going to do about this? Oh gosh, you know what? The language you use there is really clever because I observe, you know, that's, it's, it's non-confrontational that, isn't it? But your message, um, if somebody said to me, I'd be like, oop, okay, I realize I've messed up. So language is very important. Very important, having really open conversations, giving really clear feedback, as you say, um, very good natural psychologist here. So being very non-judgmental, making the feedback about actions and about things that you have observed rather than you are naughty because I don't like what you've done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it might also work with people who have teenage sons. Anyway, that's beside the point. Let's talk about um, the impact of all of this and this huge amount of pressure that we're, everybody is under. How is it... Um, impacting and these blurred lines again this kind of confusion about whether you go to the meet you know the work meeting or the teenage son meeting um, how does it all impact on long-term productivity because it sounds to me from what you're saying this all we're all so mixed up in extraneous stuff that's not actually the important stuff that productivity may be affected Productivity and well-being. Well-being would be my concern that in the long mm. run, people start burning themselves out. So when you're highly stressed, it's a bit like being stuck in a hamster cage and, you know, you get terribly sort of worked up about things and, you know, you tend to get angry quite easily, have outbursts. Whereas, whereas when you've started to burn yourself out, what you witness in people is it's almost the opposite of that, where they become grayer and grayer and they start withdrawing from people because it's not such an active thing, let's say, as being quite highly anxious, where you also observe that really tense body language, sometimes harder to spot. And I dare say it's even harder to spot when you don't see people physically. So that's a real danger because once people are off long-term sick, you're so, so, so unlikely to ever get them back again as a fully functioning employee. So that is something to avoid and something to really watch out for. So absolutely, we have to have conversations about healthy and sustainable ways of working. 
Um, and there's no easy answer to this, but, you know, that stressed um, point of view, is that the preliminary to the burnout and the grey person? Or the, presumably there's lots of different pathways to it. Yeah, so there are lots of different pathways to it. But uh, once people are really burned out, often they just tend to disappear. And then, you know, in, in the olden days, then, you know, you, we would have called it a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. But actually, there can come a point of no return. Gosh. Um, so um, how do organisations go forward, do you think? We talked about sort of perhaps looking at, you know, rest- restarting, having a clear look at where where you are. Um, how, how, do, how do they manage this, this constant change? I think one issue that we really need to talk about is hybrid working and effective hybrid working does not happen with a magic wand where, you know, the lilac fairy just comes in, ta-da, and then as of tomorrow, everything will work. It requires skill and it requires training. And I think one of the things that we've really um, neglected during the pandemic under these emergency conditions is that training bit, because we need to train both employees to make the most out of more hybrid ways of working, but also managers and leaders because they need to have the right skills to manage and lead in that hybrid world. And then yeah. you need to bring the two of them together because the more you can set people up way, the clearer the expectations on both sides. Because when you look at all the literature on stress and well-being, consistently one of the biggest stresses is it's not necessarily just the amount of work that you do although you mustn't work yourself into the ground either it's when expectations are unclear and we are in that fuzzy gray zone that's not good for us and are these expectations about how much work how efficient your work or how good your work is all of that all of that so Mm -hmm. it's about being really clear about what it is that we expect in terms of quality, but also availability. So if you're working most of the time from home, that's fine. Maybe that works for your business really well if 80%, 90% of people work from home. But you will still have to have some some bridging points when you bring everybody together again. So how are you going to make that work. Whilst I would not advocate um, the legal approach as, of course, you know, France took some years ago, where, you know, organizations that have more than 60 employees, actually, there has to be a clear policy. It's enshrined in law that you've got a right to disconnect from email, da da da, outside right. working hours. Well, what my French colleagues would tell me, it's a law, but everybody ignores it anyway. <laughs> so, you know, a law that gets ignored doesn't solve the issue. What we really have to solve is organizational capability and knowing that if employees never switch off, they're constantly on Yammer and Slack and, and, and actually, in the long run, that's going to be really bad for well-being, for productivity, for efficiency. So there is something to be gleaned from actually sitting down and thinking, actually, what for us, what do healthy, sustainable ways of working actually look like? How are we going to make that happen? We need to hold our managers and leaders to account because often um, there are their own worst enemies. They need to lead by example. And they really need to showcase healthy working behaviours. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that just just thinking about what you were saying there was this, um, there's been such a sea change because, you know, we just, we are on 24 hours a day, aren't we? 
there is access to us and you know you know that constant need or we we feel we have to respond all the time Absolutely. And of course, it's something that we also now do in our private lives, right? You know, we're continuously yes. on social media, on our smartphones and it goes everywhere with me. I mean, everywhere. Yeah. And of course, then when it breaks down, you know, like me on holidays, like, how am I going to find my way back to the hotel now? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, of course, all the gadgets that we have and the technology, you know, they are a fantastic, empowering friend to us as well. Um, because you no longer need to remember so many things. What you need is the cognitive skills about where to find them and how to use the technology. And of course, that is changing our brains already. And actually, I'm happy with that bit. What I'm not happy with is that we're no longer switching off because isn't there anything more irritating than when you're meeting a friend whom you haven't seen, you know, maybe since pre-pandemic? They don't yeah. look at you. They look at their phones. Yeah, it's um, it must be a very interesting time to work as a, uh, in, in the area in psychology as well for you. So let's... um. Uh, let's move forward because, because I'm going to give you time. Well, it may be not be time off, but let's make sure we end on time so that you can do whatever you want to do. Maybe. And um, what would you say the five top areas are to focus on to manage boundaries specifically and ensure, you know, this sustainable workforce, they're happy and they're productive. I mean, five's quite a lot, isn't it, for people to take on board? But let's go for it. So let's go for it. So the first one is you have to train your managers and leaders and you have to train your employees because Good, hybrid, flexible working doesn't happen miraculously. Actually, you have to have the capability in the organization to really make it work. So that's number one, got to train and develop. Number two, look at what happened during the pandemic and learn from the things that worked well. So many of us have learned, actually, I no longer want to commute. It's stressful for me. It's better for me if I work from home. Great. What hasn't worked so well, actually, it's much harder for teams to connect for a start, okay? So number two, actually, look at the data that you've got in your organization, the learnings from the pandemic. Do you actually know? Can you name them? Can you name them? What was good? What was bad? Simply make lists in two columns. Yeah. Make it explicit. That's number two, okay? So have you charted your learning? The number three is take that forward, into a strategy, think about actually what does good look like, consult your workers again and ask them how they want to be working, what works for them, and then put some broad principles around that. So I wouldn't go as far as, you know, the French example enshrine it in law, but actually you, you need to have a point of comparison. So for all of us still to meet and connect, this is what we need to make happen in order to accommodate, let's say, Louise, who needs to, you know, go with her teenage son to school tomorrow. Okay, that's fine. One of requests we can accommodate. But remember, people, there are some really important things that all of us need to be present. As a, yeah. And actually making those expectations really explicit. That's a really important point. You could have meetings that are like red level, you know, red, orange and green, couldn't you? You know, this is one you can miss. This is one, the red one you must not miss. But anyway, 
You carry on. You're the psychologist. <laughs> so learning and training, um, charting the learnings from the pandemic, making them yeah. really, really explicit, consulting your workforce about yeah. what good looks like, um, and then making that explicit, translating it into a set of principles. And last but absolutely certainly not least, we are often our own worst enemies. And one of the things that we really have to learn again is manage our own boundaries and switch off from work at the end of the working day and develop a routine. And I would really encourage everybody to make some of that really symbolic and really physical. So physically take your work phone, take your work laptop, lock it away out of sight, you know, have a nightly cup of herbal tea, whatever, go for a run. Um, going outside is so good for us mentally as physically as well. So you actually have a much clearer demarcation of when work ends because remember, rousal levels continuously peaking is not good for any of us. All excellent advice. Let's go, let's just, final thought, think about the teenage boy who's hopefully gone back to school and everything's okay and he's got his exams and he's going into work. So young people going into the workforce now will go into this model, which I, you know, I didn't start with. It was very clear when my work started and when my work ended. How will it affect them? It's a really good question and one that I've got slight hesitation inside me because of course what we've seen in teenagers is during the pandemic they've all you know on average as a group have become mentally less well in themselves because um you know they've had you know really really disrupted not just schooling but life um you know, for, for really the best part of three years now. And there is some, some learning and some catching up to do. And I think this is something that also as societies, we own our new talent of tomorrow to A, support them in a really, really holistic way, but also part of me thinks actually, um, you know, we've lost some of the art of conversation and real human connection. You know, I've got three teenagers and, um, you know, I witnessed one of my daughter's friends just the other day, you know, broke up with a boyfriend, not in person. No, no, no. You do it over WhatsApp these days. And actually, I think there is a real need to for us to be explicit again about really important conversations and connections you've got to have in person and actually equipping the young people of tomorrow to to be bold and bulgy about that and ask for that however hybrid we might be working there are some things with and there I'm absolutely adamant that they are so important that they really require that human connection in one room and that goes for relationship breakups just as much as for strategic decisions in organizations it's been really fascinating talking to you. The final thing I'm going to take away is the being bold and bolshy. That's what you said, wasn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but also, I, again, another word, I observe. I'm going to use that in my future interactions, which are tricky. Um, do you know what? Thank you so much. There's so much insight for everybody listening, both from an organizational point of view, from the business point of view, uh, from an employee point of view as well. And I just think personal too, you know, that real uh, clear message from you uh, to try and give ourselves time to switch 
switch off. Um, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a very busy uh, person. So thank you very much indeed. Amit Madal, uh, thank you very much indeed. Um, and she is Professor of Organisational Psychology at Birkbeck University of London. Such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Likewise, Louise. Thank you so much for talking to us, Amit. That is it for this one. This is Series 2 of the Working It Out podcast from Advanced. I'm Louise Minchin, and thank you for listening.